Thank you for joining me one more time to meditate on the beauty and the depth of the Word of God. Today, I would like to invite you to meditate with me on the life-giving power of prayer. My reading is out of the Gospel of John, chapter 11, from verse 41 through 43, and it reads like this. So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I say this for the benefit of the people standing here. They may believe that you sent me. When he said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out. As we read this passage, we are left in awe at the authority and power of Jesus Christ's prayer. If there was one thing that Jesus Christ left clear throughout his ministry, is that there is power in prayer. Samuel Chadwick once said that the one concern of the devil is to keep Christians from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless studies, from prayerless work, and prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil, he mocks at our wisdom, but he trembles when we pray. I believe that today more than ever, we need to touch the throne of God in heaven so that we can see his mighty hand at work in our midst. Not the work of our hands, but the work of his hands. It doesn't matter how hard we work and how efficient we believe our strategies and systems are. We are never going to see lasting, significant results until we don't fall on our knees and pray. Yes, church, only God brings results. Because when we work, yes, we work. But when we pray, God works. Israel is a nation born out of prayer. Abraham, he heard God's call and God heard the prayer of the Hebrew children through prayer. Moses talked to God and interceded for Israel. Solomon fulfilled the promise made to David after praying for wisdom and he dedicated the temple in prayer. God worked miracles through the prayers of Elijah and Elisha. And through prayer today, God wants to show his people, you, myself, that his omnipotence is still at the reach of our hands. Prayer is a core value of this church because we recognize the imperative nature of prayer and how prayer is the facilitator of kingdom work. Prayer is a core value of the church because the church was birthed out of prayer. God has empowered and entrusted the church with the authority to bring this world from its grave of sin to enjoy the abundant life in Christ. And this life-given authority is an authority exercised through life-given prayer. Communities are desperate for our life-given prayer should be lifted up. Nations of every continent and people of every tongue, culture, and subculture are desperate to be the beneficiaries of our life-given prayers. The same way that Lazarus became the beneficiary of Jesus' life-given prayer. And he came out of the tomb. Christ's prayer serves as a beautiful example for his church as we engage in praying for communities to come out of their tombs. Following this example of Jesus requires that we give attention to three important components of his life-giving prayer. These elements are not evident in his verbal declaration, but they are powerful, unspoken elements of a prayer that brings life. Now, this first essential component of a life-giving prayer is that it is filled by compassion. Compassion is when your heart is inconvenienced with someone else's pain, to the point that it moves you to do something about it. What led Jesus to pray for life 
was that he was moved to the point that he wept. Even the Jews said, look how he loved him. God's plan of redemption started because he refused to be indifferent. But he was deeply moved by my pain and he had compassion on me. God's compassion shines through when we read that he so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It was compassion that moved God. That is the word that Jesus himself used when explaining the love of God in the parable of the prodigal son. This is what he says. While the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Yes, it was compassion that made the father run towards me and embrace me and kiss me. He broke all rules of tradition and etiquette because he was deeply moved by compassion. The same divine compassion was in Jesus Christ. When he saw the widow of Naim carrying her dead son, the Bible says that he had compassion and it was compassion that compelled Jesus to bring the young man back to life. In this particular story, there is no faith coming from the beneficiary. There is no prayer coming from the beneficiary. There is no expectation of a miracle in this story. The only element in this story is loss and pain. And that moved Jesus deeply. Every action of grace, mercy, and kindness Jesus performed throughout his ministry was fueled by compassion. Christ's ministry was not fueled by obligation. It was not fueled by social pressures nor peer pressures. His ministry was not fueled by fear. But everything he did was fueled purely by compassion. And now, if compassion was what moved Jesus to do what he did so extraordinarily, I cannot do anything that matters in the kingdom unless I run on the same kind of compassion. But true compassion is only possible when we are able to connect with someone else's pain and understand their hurt in an experiential level. This leads us to our second essential component of a life-giving prayer. A life-giving prayer is an incarnate prayer. Jesus prayed with such compassion because although he was the word in the beginning of creation, the word became flesh and dwelled among us. He understood and spoke their language. He chose to let go of his glory to embrace our humanity. Paul understood the necessity of incarnation in the pursuit of bringing dead communities to life when he said this, I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. When we become incarnate in our communities, it changes the way we pray for them. We graduate from the responsibility of prayer to the agonizing necessity of prayer. This so-called incarnation is part of our New Testament Pentecostal DNA. Because divine cultural incarnation is only possible through the Holy Spirit. Because it was the Holy Spirit, the agent who facilitated the incarnation of Jesus Christ. As Mary was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was the same incarnational agent who empowered the disciples to speak in other tongues and cause an international audience to understand. Each one of them in their own languages, only through the Holy Spirit, we can be relevant without compromising the essence of the life-giving gospel message. I know that Jesus' life-giving prayer was culturally relevant because 
he intentionally chose to arrive and pray for the dead body of Lazarus on the fourth day. That was a cultural statement that declared that only God could have done this. Life-giving prayer is wrapped by layers of cultural relevancy. That is why Jesus himself said, Father, I am praying this way because of them. Last but not least, life-giving prayer is a busy prayer engaged in kingdom service. Jesus was always occupied in serving the people. And giving his life so that I might have life was his ultimate act of service. Mark 10, 45 says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life is a ransom for many. This declaration of Jesus and how he spent his life serving people to the point of death makes it clear that redemption and servanthood cannot be separated. This is sealed by Christ himself at the upper room in his last supper with his disciples when he chooses to give them the last lesson. Through the bread and the fruit of the vine, he gives them a picture of redemption. And through feet washing, he gives them a picture of servanthood. He gives us both revelation and application to make it clear that we cannot separate the life-giving redemptive church from the servant church. And in the most simplistic of the forms, feet washing was literally to wash away the dirt someone had picked up along their journey. This dirt comes in the form of brokenness, abuse, abandonment, violence, lies, loss, shame, failure, and the list goes on and on. Jesus was teaching us that as we serve, we heal, we restore, we bring dead things back to life. Jesus, his life-giving prayer was a busy prayer, always engaged in serving the least of these. Each one of these elements were not included in his verbal declaration as he called Lazarus, Lazarus, come out. But they were evident in his ministry, compassion, incarnation, and servanthood. These things led Jesus to pray like he prayed. Compassion, incarnation, and servanthood will position us to pray with authority like Jesus prayed, bringing families, communities, cities, and nations out of their graves into the abundant life of Christ. It is time to pray like Jesus prayed.